And that's what happened. When things were fulfilled that Jesus Christ said, their faith was increased. I'll show it to you in John alone. Go back to John chapter 2. I want you to see this. John chapter 2, look at verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. We know he's talking about his body. And in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 40 and 6 years to build the temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Now watch verse 22. So when he was raised from the dead, that's future to our text. Watch this. When he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. And what does it say? They believed. They already believed he was the Messiah. Their faith was increased. They had heard this. They didn't understand it, but their faith was increased. And watch, they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus spoke to him. You notice that? What Jesus Christ spoke to them, even in John chapter 14, was scripture. And they believed. Go with me to John chapter 16. I want you to see it. John chapter 16. Verses 1 through 4. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Notice that. They will make you outcasts. Remember I told you he's talking about the persecution they will face? Watch. They will make you outcasts from the synagogues. But the hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. That is frightening. That someone could kill the true disciples of God and be saying, I'm doing this in the name of God. You don't think it's important to warn you as an assembly about the characters that are out there? Or to talk about the fact that there are people that will do things and they will come to pass and it better line up with the word of God? Notice this. They are going to be killing the disciples and saying, we're doing this in the name of God. But I want you to notice this. Verse 3. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. They didn't know the Father. They didn't know him. Look at verse 4. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told, them, uh, told you of them. These things I did not say to you in, beginning because, in the beginning because I was with you. He's telling them so that they will remember and later believe. One more verse in John, John chapter 20. Look at verses 8 and 9. This is when they come to the grave and they find out that Jesus is resurrected. Look. So the other disciple who had first come, verse 8, I'm in verse 8 of chapter 20, to the tomb then also entered and he saw, and what did he do? He believed. Why? For yet they did not understand the scripture that he must be raised again from the dead. So what he's saying in chapter 14, I've been telling you I'm going to die. I'm telling you I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm telling you you're going to suffer. And I'm telling you these things so that when you see them, you're going to remember that I said this and you will believe. Not unto salvation. That their faith would be increased. What practical application does that have? Does it have any application to us? Absolutely. You and I are to come to saving faith in Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we're to recognize like they did that he's the Messiah. That's saving faith. 
There is no salvation in any church. There is no salvation in any other person. There is no salvation in any other work. There's only salvation in Jesus Christ. And we have to be honest. We, we get so excited. I can remember the night that I got saved. I wanted to tell everybody in my family. I tried taking the Bible and stuffing it down their throat. It didn't work. But I tried it. I tried telling everybody at work, and then I had to learn that I have to let God do the work and so forth. And, and I just couldn't get enough of the word of God and so forth. There was an excitement. But then what happens with all of us? Time goes by. Oh, we continue in the word of God, but our Christian life becomes routine. We start doing things. We get discouraged. We get down. And our belief is not really, we haven't denied Christ, but it's just not that fresh. The joy of salvation is somehow gone, if you will. And we are told to walk by faith. We are told to have our faith increased. Even the disciples called for that. We ought to keep on believing. We want to see God working more in our life. And we need to be increased in our faith. How do we do that? How do we not get discouraged? How do we get out of the ruts that we get in? It's by taking God at his word, remembering what he said, and counting on it. So that when it comes to pass, what do you mean by that, Pastor Dan? You know how many promises that God's given the believer in his word? And when you see God answering prayer, when you see God working in your life, oh, there's still the ups and downs of the world. There's still the discouragement. Why does God answer prayer? Why does God use your gift and you see the benefit of God getting the glory in your gift? To increase your faith. To cause you to continue to believe and trust in the Savior that you've trusted in for salvation. It's a practical belief, and that's what he was talking about to them. They had already trusted in Christ. But he says, when it comes to pass, I want you to remember it so that you'll keep on believing. And you'll remember I said that to you, and what will it do for the disciples? Remember what's going to happen. They will deny him. They will run away from him. Then what will happen? When they remember, when they remember what he said, when they remember and things come to pass, such as Peter... Peter will repent, and he'll remember, and he'll continue believing. And his faith will be increased so that Peter will be able to face death for Jesus Christ. And the disciples will be able to preach with boldness so that when the Holy Spirit came, we find in the book of Acts that Peter, the one that denied the Lord, was bold to stand in front of those who crucified the Lord and now had the power to crucify him and say what he said, that Jesus Christ is the only one. Where did he get that boldness? Because when he saw God working, and he saw God's work coming to pass, his faith was increased. One of the difficulties happens is that we just can't be satisfied with the word of God, and we can't just be satisfied with God. That's what happens in our life sometimes. So why does God give us the word? Why does he tell us what's going to happen? Why does he give us the promise of the rapture? Why does he give us the promise of if we obey, God will do this? So that when it comes to pass, we'll continue believing. We'll continue trusting in him, just like with his disciples. Jesus not only fulfilled this, these prophecies, but he's continued to give us the word of God so that we can be victorious like he wants his disciples to be victorious. <clears throat> not only is he victorious with the word of God, but in his, I put it in the, your outline, is his frustration of Satan. <clears throat> it's actually the defeat of Satan, but his frustration of Satan. Look at verse 30. 
I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. What a tremendous passage. His time was short. That's all he means when he says, I won't speak much more with you. He's still going to continue on in chapter 15 and 16 and 17, as we will study. But he's not going to be that long with him. Who is the ruler of this world? I know you know who it is, but it's the devil. I want you to see it. It's, be, it's come up in John. Go, go to John chapter 12, verse 31. It's a couple of verses. John 12, 31. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Go to chapter 16, verse 11. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Who is the ruler of this world? Listen to this passage, Luke chapter 4. I'll give you the reference. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Listen to what the Lord said. He led him up and showed him all the kingdoms. This is the temptations of the Lord of the world. That is the devil, right? In a moment of time, watch. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Who is that? The devil. That's why he says that in those passages. The ruler of this world is the devil. He has been allowed. You notice that in Luke chapter 4? He is a fallen angel, by the way. The devil is a fallen angel. He's not some cartoon character. He's not the force that drove on Star Wars. That's not the devil. He's not an influence only that influences people's thinking. He's a real created being. He was a created angel. I won't turn there, but you'd find that in Ezekiel chapter 38. He was created by God. And the only reason he's ruling this world is what said us in Luke. The Lord has given him the ability. But he is subject to God. How do we know that? Well, I won't turn there, but Job chapter 1. Remember that? In Job chapter 1, the sons of God came before man, uh, before God, and that included the devil himself. And Satan said, as he came before him, or God said to Satan, have you considered Job? And he says, you put a hedge about him. I can't even touch him. He said, and if you let me touch him, he'll curse you to his face. Now, the devil was wrong. Job didn't fail. But he could not get at Job unless God allowed it. So don't forget that. While the devil is the ruler of this age, I want you to remember that he's not superior to God. The only reason he's the ruler of this age is because of sin, and God's allowed it. But he is still on a leash. And God is still controlling him. In fact, I think it's important for you to realize, according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, the devil will spend eternity in the lake of fire. He's a defeated foe. So he says the ruler of this age, and this, who's he talking about? He's talking about Satan. He had already been very active in the life of Christ. So how does he say in verse 30, back in chapter 14, we go back there, how does he say that he is coming? Wasn't he active in the birth of Jesus Christ? Yes. Remember? They killed all the babies. Wasn't he active in the temptations? We just referred to that in Luke. But if you looked at Matthew, if you looked at Luke, if you look at Mark, wasn't he active in the temptations of Jesus Christ? Yes, he was. Well, then how did, what does it mean he's coming? 
Wasn't he active in the life of Peter already before our text where he said, get thee behind me, Satan? Yes. So what does this mean, he's coming? It's what's before him. He's coming in the service of Judas to betray him. He's coming in the temptations of Gethsemane in which Jesus Christ will see what's before him. And even as a human being will say, Father, if it be possible, remove this. Nevertheless, he says, not my will, but your will. He's going to face all of that. And so in that sense is what he's talking about, the rule of this world. The devil is going to increase his attacks on Jesus Christ to a tremendous extent. Judas will betray him shortly. Gethsemane will be before him. Peter will deny him. The disciples will leave. And can you imagine how you would feel as a Christian if everybody deserted you and you were all alone? You say, oh, yeah. No, you don't. Not like this. That's what he's referring to. The rule of this world. That is Satan. He's coming in great power, in effect. And the challenges are going to be put before Jesus Christ, whether he will obey the Father or whether he will give in to Satan. And by the way, that's going to also include people being used by Satan to say, if you are the Christ, take yourself down from the cross and save yourself. Which, by the way, he could have done. He had the power to do it, but he would not. All of that is before him. All of that is about to come. But I love the end of verse 30. And he has nothing in me. Very strong in the Greek. It's a double, double negative. He has nothing in me. Literally, it means this. The devil has no claim on the life of Jesus Christ. None whatsoever. Why? He already told us. In John chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus Christ said, I am not of this world. You are of this world, but I am not of this world. He would repeat that many times. According to John chapter 8, verse 46, Jesus Christ said he had never sinned. And by the way, let's compare that to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for a minute. This is what it means when he says the devil has no claim on Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Is this important? It's vital that Satan had no claim over our Savior. That is why Jesus Christ can be our Savior. He's got no claim over him. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 to 21. Therefore, we are, uh, verse 18, sorry. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. How? Through Christ. You want to spend eternity with Christ? You want to spend eternity with the God that's created this world? You want to spend eternity in heaven? It can only come through Christ that was sent into this world. And it says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How encouraging is that? Namely, that God was in Christ, watch, reconciling the world to himself. How did he do that? Not counting their trespasses or their sins against them. And he has committed us uh, to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
as though God were making us, making an appeal through us, we beg you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see Paul's heart for the lost? He begged them. How evangelistic is that? Pretty evangelistic. He begged them to be reconciled to God. And then he says this in 21. He made him, that is Jesus Christ, watch this, who knew no sin. That is why Satan has no claim on Jesus. He has nothing on him. There is nothing. He was without sin. But he made him to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's a complete trans transformation. It's a complete change. We are sinners and come short of the glory of God. We are able to have eternal life because of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Satan has nothing in him. Jesus Christ is without sin. Sin leads to death. Sin and death is what caused people to be afraid of death. All our lives, according to Hebrews. And by the way, it's an interesting passage. Hebrews chapter 2 says that Satan does that to people of this world. He keeps them bound in fear of death all their life because of sin. Jesus Christ wasn't afraid of it at all because he had no sin. He didn't experience death because of his sin. Satan had no claim over that. So much so that while Satan thought he was defeating Jesus Christ and putting him to death, it backfired and Satan himself was defeated. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Now watch this. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. We are all sinners. That decrees death. That decrees separation from God. That decrees we can't be with him which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way. How did he do that? Having nailed it to his cross, or to the cross. Jesus Christ nailed it to the cross. How could he do that? Satan had nothing in him. Satan had no claim over him. So what ended up happening was verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them. How did he do that? Having triumphed over them, through him, that is through Christ. The public display of the de defeat of Satan is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's also made clear by 1 John chapter 3, which I won't turn to. So in our text, he's saying to his disciples, in verse 29, don't be afraid. I'm telling you I have to face death. You have to face persecution. All these other things you have to face. But when it comes to pass... Believe. Believe what I told you. I am the victor. Rely on me and my word. Not only that, the hour is short. Satan is coming. And while he's our enemy, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can't attack Satan on our own, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have victory. 
in our daily life. And he has entire victory because Satan has nothing in him. Then he closes with this and we wrap it up. Verse 31. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. What is that? Finally, he's the victor in that he will finish the Father's commands. The demonstration of the love of Jesus Christ for the Father was obedience. The demonstration of our love. You can say you love Jesus Christ. You can say you're serving him. You can say you're doing what God wants you to do. But if you're not obeying him, you don't love him. That's true of me. That was true of Jesus Christ. The only demonstration of love was obedience. He said that in verse 15 of our text. He said that in verse 21 of our text. He said that in verse 23 of our text. And he closes the chapter in verse 31 of it. Saying, the way you'll know that I love the Father is because I do everything he's commanded. That includes the cross. You will know that I love the Father because I will go to the cross. You will know that I love the Father because I will do everything that he wants me to do. I won't get down even when I'm asked to do it by people. The scourging will not turn me away. Pilate's words will not turn me away. Peter's denial will not turn me away from obeying. What will turn us away from obeying God's commands? It doesn't take much. Sad to say. It doesn't take much for me to deviate from what God wants me to do. My flesh wants to get a hold of me. Your flesh wants to get a hold of you. This world is so full of temptations. The devil is right there to toss things in front of us, and it takes us so easily away from obeying what God would have us to do. We need to see that obedience is what demonstrates our love. Why are we not afraid of the economy? Why are we not afraid of snowstorms all winter long? Why are we not afraid of losing our job? Why are we not afraid of what's going on in the Middle East right now in Libya? And what happened in Egypt? You know why? Because our God's in control. Because I can walk and obey him, and God tells me I can be assured in him, and I don't have to worry. I can be comforted in him. He's the God of all comfort. How can I survive when difficulties come in my life and there's tragedies? Because I obey God. Well, how do I obey God? I have to know what he says. How can a child, we know, everyone knows what that is, and no children like it. I didn't like it as a child. Children obey your parents. How can I obey him if I don't know what he says, what my parents say? I can't be disobedient to them if I don't know what they want me to do. But I certainly can disobey once I know. And how many of us read the word of God every day? And when we see something, it's yes, but. Or what I spent our time on this morning earlier, we look back and say, Yes, but God's leading me to do this. Does it line up with God's word? Rightly divided? Does it fit you in the body as God would have you to be fit in the body according to his plan, under his authority? And yes, my friend, by the way, God has given the authority to the local church. You ought to be obedient to those who have the rule over you. And that means that we ought to be functioning within the body because none of us are greater than the other. And everybody has their part to do. 
and we're to function in that capacity. How about obeying God in those areas? That's what demonstrates our love for God. Not doing what we want, doing what God wants. As a husband, as a wife, as a child, as an employee, as an employer, as a member of the body of Christ. Jesus Christ was very consistent in what he says for us and in what he did. He was going to face the persecution, the death, the denials, all of that that was going to go on, but it was in perfect harmony with God's will, and he would continue obeying, though everyone would desert him, because it demonstrated his love for the Father, and he completed it right up until the end. His death was part of the perfect plan of God. I don't have the time to turn there, but let me refer to you in Acts chapter 2, tremendous passage, verses 22 to 24. It was the predetermined plan of God. And finally, Peter came to realize it. He said, you crucified him. It was your wicked hands, but it was the predetermined plan of God for Jesus Christ to go to the cross. And he did. In Philippians chapter 2, we know well. He was obedient even unto what? Death. The death of what? The cross. That's love for the Father. He didn't think it equal, anything wrong with equality, but he didn't hold on to it. That's what Philippians says. He put that aside because while he had all of those rights as God of the universe, that's the Jesus Christ. Now listen. He had all the rights that came with being the second person of the Trinity. And he laid it aside, Philippians chapter 2, in obedience to the revealed plan of God before the foundation of the world. And that was to go to the cross of Calvary. That was to die on the cross. It was to be resurrected again. No wonder there's only one plan of salvation. He stuck to what God revealed, all the way back to the concept of Bible prophecy, 100%. We are encouraged, and his disciples are being encouraged to remember so when it comes to pass, what it will do will increase your faith. And when you see God working in your life, God's doing that so your faith will be increased to trust in him, to walk with him, to continue to obey the commands of God, which will demonstrate your love for him. That's what he said throughout this chapter. You will demonstrate your love by obedience. First John says the same thing. And he closes with this, get up and let us go from here. Rather appropriate at the end of a message, I guess. Let's get up and go home. But that is not the way he meant it. I do believe, and by the way, there's debate on what he really means by this because the discourse hasn't finished. It goes on in chapter 15 through 17. I think the simplest way to understand it in its context is simply that he's saying, let's get up and now go, and he's going to go down the Kidron Valley, and he's going to continue to teach them as he moves his way toward the Gethsemane, and he will continue to teach them with our next teaching on the vine and the branches in chapter 15. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you that by your love and by your grace, you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
There is nothing lacking. That you have given us all scripture. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That we might be perfect, mature. We have the whole counsel of God. We don't have to look elsewhere. And yet, Father, as we handle it so often, we take ourselves outside of the scriptures. Even as you reminded your disciples here that as they see the word of God fulfilled, it was to increase their faith. As they saw obedience in you, they were to obey. Help us, Father, to be not just people who read the word, but who are people who obey the word. Help us to remember that you've given us the revealed word of God that we might know the counsel of God, that we might know your plan for the future, that we might know your plan for the present, and that we might walk in it, not outside of it. We thank you that you've given us the word of God that we might test those that we hear as we line it up with the word of God, not with our own feelings, not with our own plans, Father, if we're honest, many times we want to do what we want to do. But Father, help us to be consistent with the revealed word of God. That's our test. That's our guide. That's our ruler. That's our measuring tape. So help us, Father, to know the word, that we might be obedient to it, and we might bring honor and glory to your name. Thank you for the time together today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mighty Fortress is our God, number 26. Echoes some of the things we just heard, talking about Satan being a defeated foe, us being able to stand on the promises of God's word.